Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. On July 18th, the city of Detroit filed for Chapter 9 bankruptcy, more than $18 billion in debt, after 60 years of what the city's emergency manager and bankruptcy specialist Kevin Orr called deferred maintenance. The filing, the largest municipal bankruptcy ever, leaves many of its residents wondering what it means for their families, their neighborhoods, and their economic security. Whether it turns out to be a real opportunity to turn things around or a trajectory to an uncertain grim future remains to be seen. There's also the threshold question of whether Detroit is even eligible to be in Chapter 9 and whether it can propose a reorganization plan that cuts retiree pensions and benefits for city employees rights seemingly guaranteed from impairment by Michigan's Constitution. With Detroit's filing came the instant analysis of why. Causes and or scapegoats include greedy public employee unions, decades of neglect of core problems of high crime and bad schools, local government corruption, poor city services and high taxes that led to suburban flight, and finally over-dependence on the auto industry. And on this last point, our guest today is an expert on the auto industry and its impact on Detroit. Paul Ingracia covered Detroit for more than a decade as a reporter, editor, and executive, serving as bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal and later Dow Jones Newswires. He won the Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on the auto business and is the author of several top-selling books about the industry including Crash Course on the Auto Industry's Road from Glory to Disaster and Back, and most recently, Engines of Change, about how cars have impacted and reflected U.S. culture throughout history. He's with us today from London, where he's now managing editor for Reuters. Welcome back, Paul, to ABI Podcasts. Sam, thank you. It's great to be with you. Now, you have to have many feelings, even across the Atlantic, following the news of Detroit's bankruptcy. What are your what are your thoughts and impressions? Well, gee, it's, it's a it's a big question, um, Sam. I mean, I think first of all, uh, obviously, it's a very sad story. Uh, this is a um, uh, you know a story of a of a about a city that really go back uh, you know sixty years ago to the middle of the twentieth uh, century was the equivalent in the United States of what. Agreed. Um, the, the, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the industry you covered, in particular, the U.S. auto industry, which uh, 
clearly is improving in terms of profitability. Just uh, last week, uh, Ford reported that its second quarter profits rose 18% to $1.23 billion on sales of $38 billion, driving its stock price to the highest level in more than a year. It's adding thousands of salaried workers uh, this year, almost all of them in Michigan. GM, for its part, uh, posted profits of $1.26 billion on sales of $39 billion, again, adding thousands of uh, salaried workers uh, in uh, at least suburban Detroit. Chrysler also uh, adding uh, employees. So how can Detroit go bust when the U.S. auto industry is booming? And, and if so, is it because the city's main industry isn't as closely connected to the city's fortunes as perhaps it used to be? Well, the simple answer to that question is the auto industry did go bust um, and, and went through bankruptcy. Uh, two of the three companies you mentioned, General Motors and Chrysler, uh, did go through bankruptcy, a different chapter. Obviously, it was Chapter 11, um, uh, really, uh, back in 2009. And without that, uh, I think the story of those companies would be very similar to the uh, story of the uh, city of Detroit today. Um, these were companies that were uh, had been uh, uh, really poorly um, dealt with for years by by both the management and by uh, and by the United Autos Workers Union. I mean, basically, there were uh, so much time and effort uh, spent in, in sort of uh, beating each other, if you will, that, that they just didn't have as much time or effort or resources to devote to uh, the main job of, of uh, satisfying and indeed delighting the customer. And um, so without bankruptcy, the, the auto industry would be in much the same straits as Detroit, uh, Detroit right now. Now, in addition, you are right, the auto industry is, is less dependent on the city of Detroit itself than the, um, uh, than far less uh, dependent, uh, you know, than it used to be. I mean, General Motors uh, is still headquartered mm-hmm. in, in the city. Yeah, okay. uh, Chrysler's way out in Auburn Hills. Ford is in Dearborn, as it has been, you know, forever and ever, really. Um, and the, the only, there's only one factory in the city of Detroit that still makes um, well, two factories. I mean, one is straddles the border between Hamtramck and Detroit, and the other is the Jefferson Avenue, that's the GM factory, the Jefferson Avenue the Chrysler factory that builds Jeeps. So the industry has largely, um, uh, you know, spread out. Uh, but still, even with even with that, without the bankruptcy that these companies went through a couple of years ago, it'd still be uh, still be a mess. You mentioned. Um uh, the, the many ways that we can view the Detroit uh, bankruptcy as a, a municipal bond problem, a, a, a labor problem, a, a race problem, a city problem. Is it also perhaps symbolic as a closure of an era when uh, heavy industry dominated uh, the U.S. economy through its, uh, through its factories and and, and, and really when the, the U.S. really led the world um, through, its, through its factory. Is it, is, it, is it that as well, a change of an era? Well, uh, you know, not entirely. I wouldn't say that. Actually, one of, the, one of the remarkable things that's happening, you know, in the United States these days is that manufacturing is, is, is enjoying a, you know, a, a mini renaissance, if you will. Uh, and now, it's not the, the, the renaissance of 
you know, the 60 years ago sort of thing where there were huge mega factories built and, and big union contracts and, and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the steel industry has been, you know, reborn under new ownership and new labor agreements and that sort of thing in America. It's not the world's dominant steel industry as it was. Uh, the auto industry is, is, is continues to uh, thrive in America. A lot of it is under different ownership. It's not under Detroit's ownership. Uh, but, you know, uh, 60 years ago, there were only three companies building cars in America. There were General Motors and Ford and Chrysler. And now, in addition to those three, you have nine or ten others, including virtually all the Japanese uh, uh, companies. You have uh, BMW, you have Volkswagen, which has recently re-entered uh, the United States market as a manufacturer. Uh, and you have, um, you know, the Korean companies, too. So it's, it's, it's not quite... Yeah, you know, yes, manufacturing is not as big as a part of the U.S. economy as it used to be, but it's not a disaster that sometimes is widely believed in the in the, in the popular myth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, could we uh, say that Detroit's uh, failure uh, resulted in part from its success, at least at one point, in its uh, core business? Uh, uh, almost a prisoner of its dependence on the auto industry. And here, I'm the, the point I'm trying to get at is the city's emergency manager, Kevin uh, Orr, recently uh, reflected that in Detroit, at least in, with regard to the auto industry, you know, success meant that, you know, you could, you know, have an eighth grade education and the industry would guarantee you 30 years of a good job uh, with a pension at the end and, you know, and, and uh, significant health care, you know, for life. Um, and that seemed like it would be always uh, sustainable, obviously, until it, it wasn't. Is, so there, is there something to that, that the city got very used to uh, the benefits that were provided by its core industry and, uh, and now makes the, the fall that much more uh, difficult? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, 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 is, that is exactly the issue. This industry, uh, this city was so dependent, not only uh, economically, but culturally and emotionally. Uh, the whole idea of the, uh, that you could have a low-skill, high-wage job that was basically guaranteed mm-hmm. was uh, sort of ingrained in the Detroit psyche. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll even get a little more granular with you here, Sam. I mean, you know, in the, in the 1970s, the UAW won... Um, uh, greater and greater contract uh, protection for, for workers. And one of the things they won was uh, the, the 30 and out provision. So basically over a period of a couple of contract negotiations, there emerged a system where if you started in a factory at 18 years old, right after high school, 17 or 18, um, you would work 30 years, so you're 47 or 48 years old, and you could get, you could get full retirement benefits. You could retire at, you know, at a full pension level, and full health, full dollar one guaranteed health care for the rest of your life. So if you lived till age seventy seven or seventy eight, you would actually on retirement and medical benefits longer than you actually worked. Right. And right. It, it, so you know what what happened was in the nineteen seventies was a seminal era in America and certainly for Detroit. I mean, it followed the city. It followed right on the heel of the nineteen sixty seven uh, riot. Right. Had a tough time recovering, and then what ended up happening after that 
was uh, the first African-American mayor was elected, Coleman Young. And, you know, frankly, he was no Nelson Mandela. Yeah. He was not a professor. Um, he was a very antagonistic, um, uh, you know, angry, uh, angry type of man. And um, under him, not only in the city neglected, uh, as you said in the introduction, neglected education and personal security, and what really killed Detroit after that was um, uh, not so much white flight, it was also black flight. Black middle class got out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, black middle class people, or like any other middle class people, they want security and good schools for the kids. Um, and then, you know, on the industrial front in the in the seventies, the, um, the UAW, uh, uh, which has, has had a great progressive tradition, frankly over the line in, in too many instances from protecting workers' rights to protecting feather beds. So you had contracts that were once like pamphlets, you know, you had thick as phone books uh, defining myriad job classifications so if the machine breaks down and you're standing next to it, you can't fix it even though you know how because that's, uh, that's somebody else's job and somebody else is on their lunch break so the whole factory has to wait to shut down until that person gets back from lunch break. So all this Right, right. You mentioned the um, uh, the bailout uh, through uh, Chapter Eleven um, uh, for the uh, for the industry. Um, Steve Steve Ratner, uh, who right. administered the bailout of uh, part of the uh, part of the industry um, uh, f- uh, for the Obama administration, has recently tried to make the case for federal assistance for Detroit, arguing that. Quote, apart from voting in elections, the 700,000 remaining residents of the Motor City are no more responsible for Detroit's problems than were the victims of Hurricane Sandy for theirs. Congress, he says, should bail out Detroit because America is as much about aiding those less fortunate as it is about personal responsibility. So what's the... uh, What's the case for a federal assistance? So far, everyone is saying that's not going to happen, but can there be a case made for it? Well, I, I love the, you know, uh, the Steve Ratner's statement, apart from voting. Well, that's how democracy works, I'm afraid. I mean, sadly, Detroit voters returned uh, generation after generation of, of irresponsible, uh, antagonistic, and in many cases, corrupt political leadership. Uh, to positions of responsibility uh, in the city, uh, and and frankly, you know, even um, even recently, when the governor of Michigan moved to put in a uh, you know an emergency manager in, the, in Kevin Orr, as you mentioned, right. the, who basically has has is running the city on an emergency basis, there were a lot of voices from the city of Detroit said this is undemocratic. You know, he's not elected by anybody, even though he is appointed by an elected governor. Um, so you can't have it both ways, I, I, you know. I don't think Sam. You can't say that. Well, wait a minute. All they did was vote, and then and then and then when uh, an emergency city manager is appointed, you can't come along and say, well, wait a minute, it's undemocratic. I, mean, I don't. I couldn't, couldn't disagree more strongly with Mr. Ratner on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Understood. Um, so at the uh, um, at this point, um, would you say that you're um, optimistic, not optimistic about uh, about the future. Uh, as somebody who knows Detroit's history so well, well, I'd like to be optimistic. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it might make me as optimistic as where 
uh, my heart would like me to be because there's some huge issues. I mean, first, this decline has been going on uh, forever and ever, and it's become ingrained culturally in the city in many ways. That's one problem. Uh, there's huge swaths of the city, uh, as everyone knows, that are basically, uh, you know, just really, um, you know, empty blocks versus decaying, burnt out, uh, burnt out homes. So I think that's a, um, you know, it's a real problem. The schools has to be reformed. Uh, you know, public safety has to be put at a priority. There's, there's a lot of really basic, you know, issues. In addition to the overwhelming financial issue of $18 billion in debt that the city just can't afford to repay. Now, you know, that being said, um, you know, what happened in the case of the automobile companies is uh, a lot of that debt was wiped away. I mean, that's what happens in a bankruptcy. People, people do get hurt. In the case of the auto industry's Chapter 11, um, you know, executives got fired, managers lost their jobs, factories got closed, workers got you know, laid off and lost their jobs. Dealers lost their dealerships. Shareholders got wiped out. Bondholders got deep haircuts. So if something like that is allowed to happen in, in the city of Detroit, which will include, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I think financially will have to include um, some, some public employee pension reduction, at least in the unsecured part of those pensions, um, then I think financially you could have the beginnings of, of you know, uh, what will allow the city to refocus on, um, on, sec- on the two big issues, security and education. I mean, that's the thing you need. And I think, you know, um, you know, beyond that, there are small little green shoots of young people moving down into the near the downtown Detroit area and small businesses starting up and, and all that sort of thing, but you but you got to create the conditions, Sam, under which those that kind of stuff can be nurtured, and will grow of its own accord without continuing government subsidies. Right. Well, for sure, everyone is watching uh, the Chapter Nine. The court has set an aggressive uh, time frame um, to get um, the case uh, uh, through the through the system. Uh, Handling the threshold, uh, legal and constitutional issues, and then everyone, everyone is uh, anxiously observing the outcome here. Whether it's uh, public employee unions, the bond markets, public officials in other cities with uh, underwater uh, pension and retiree benefits, there the stakes really are extraordinarily high. No question about it. Absolutely. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences on Detroit from your years of uh, observation and including that of uh, the city's uh, uh, essential and iconic uh, industry, the auto industry, and we look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an incredible story, and uh, uh, let's just hope it ends as well as it possibly can. And we uh, thank our audience for listening to this American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. You can find more about the Detroit bankruptcy at our new website, news.abi.org forward slash Detroit. There you'll find instant news updates, all of the court documents and other resources, even a Twitter feed for the world's reactions to the nation's largest city bankruptcy. And you can also find more than 130 podcasts like this at our website, ebi.org slash podcasts. Until next time, for the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.